do we do that? Why do we do that? And we're going to be looking at different aspects of what happens when we gather together. Why do we do that? Why do we do certain things that we do every week as a gathered community of people here on a Sunday? So today the question is, why do we do that? Children and youth work. Children and youth groups on a Sunday, activities during the week. Why do we do that? Why is that important for us as a church? And so to start thinking about this, I'm taking you way back, way, way, way back. And we heard from our Bible reading there, Moses and the people um, who God had called together, God's community of people were there. It was a crucial moment that we just heard. Hands up if you've heard the story of the 10 plagues coming out of Egypt, Exodus, hands up. We all know that story, don't we? We know that story. We, children hear that story in Sunday school, schools throughout the land because it's very visual, it's very colourful, it's very exciting. God's people miraculously brought out of Egypt, out of slavery and into the promised land. So God's people brought out of Egypt, out of slavery, miraculously, and then they end up wandering around in the desert for 40 years. So they've been already been on quite a journey. Quite a journey physically, but quite a journey together, socially, spiritually, in every aspect, quite a journey already. And here, the bit that we just heard is a crucial moment. They're standing there on the banks of the River Jordan. Egypt is way behind. The promised land is in their sights. They're standing there on the banks of the river, ready, almost ready, to enter the promised land. Moses, who is very old by now, stands up and gives his speech, his sermon, whatever we want to call it. He wants to speak to all those people there and he has an important message for them. The people who are listening aren't actually the people who have come out of Egypt all those years ago. They're their children, their children's children, their descendants, they're the next generation, the new generation ready to take the promised land, a new generation of God's people. So what does Moses say to them? When we hear the words, what we could hear is what a lot of children and young people hear when teachers and parents talk to them. Rules, 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 regulations, regulations, don't do this, do this, do this. That's quite often what children and young people perceive they're being told by adults. Sometimes it is what they're being told by adults. What we could hear when we heard those words could be that. Lots of rules, lots of regulations, lots of do this. Make sure you do this. Always do this. Or we could hear what's behind that message. Why? Moses wants to remind them of their history, remind them where they came from. He wants to remind them, what is your story as God's people? What is the story of our community? Where did we come from? Never forget your story, he says to them. Never forget who you are. Never forget you are God's people. You were chosen. 
You were brought out of slavery miraculously. Never forget who you are. Never forget where you've come from. Never forget that God has chosen you. God has chosen his people for a purpose. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget what our story is as God's people. That's what Moses is saying to them. And what he says is, in order to not forget, follow all these rules, follow all these regulations. In order that you don't forget the miraculous events and the miraculous intervention, do this and do this and do this. And tell your children, talk to your children, talk to them as you get up in the morning, talk to them as you walk along the road, talk to them when you're going to sleep at night. When your children ask, why are we doing all this? Why do we every day say this special prayer? Why do we every time have to light these candles and do this and do this? Tell them every time. Pass the story down, generation, generation, generation. And the way Moses and God's people at that time did that was by boxing it into lots of different rules and regulations, lots of different rituals and traditions. Why they did that? So they would not forget who they are. So they would not forget where they came from. So they would not forget what the story of them as a community of God's people was. So that that story would get passed down generation after generation after generation. So that when things came against that, they're just about to enter the promised land. They're just about to conquer that land for God. They're just about to get into there, and that is the land that God has said will be theirs, where they will prosper and they will do well. Chances are not everyone's going to be happy about that. And so Moses is saying, remember who you are. Remember what our story is. Remember we're chosen as God's people. So that when others come against that, when others tell you you're not quite so special, you will remember your story. You will remember your identity. This is who I am. This is where we came from. I'm part of God's chosen people. That confidence of knowing who I am and what purpose I've been created for. That's what Moses is telling God's people as they're standing there on the banks of the River Jordan so that they would succeed where their parents had failed, that they would remember who they are. Tell your children when you get up, when you go to bed, when you're walking along, tie it on your foreheads and round your doorposts. Do everything to remember who you are. The story had to be imprinted on every generation so they would know who they are and where they belonged. That deep human need to belong. So that's the story of God's people all those years, 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 years ago. What does that mean for us now? How, what part of that message are we wanting to hear for us when we think about why we do children and youth work as part of our church? We gather as a people who share a common story. 
in discovering what that story is, in discovering who God is for us, who we are, and how God's story and our story interact in this world we live in, we discover what our story is. We discover what our story is, what our story is as God's people. Most of my week I spend working in the primary school in Johanna, and this week was the start of a time of year that is probably my favourite time of year. It's the event of the century, never mind all other events that you might hear about, the event of the century. Is this, oh, it's not there. <laughs> You're going to have to wait to know what the event of the century is. Dun, 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 dun. Yep, I think. Johanna's got talent. It is the event of the century. We started the audition process this week, and it is the best time of the year ever. It's my favourite time of year. As I walk down the corridor at school or as I walk in the play, into the playground, I get accosted by child after child, groups of children. Is it today my audition? Can I do this? Can I hula hoop? Can I tell jokes? Can I test out my song on you? Some of the more clever ones say, ah, oh, Louisa, you're judging the auditions. What kind of thing are you looking for? <laughs> and so this, this week, we've started these auditions, and we have had highlights such as, I'm going to take this pencil, I'm going to close my eyes and say the magic words, the pencil will disappear, and then reappear in this hand as an invisible pencil. I have to say that's been my favourite so far. <laughs> or some of the hilarious jokes, some of the amazing choreographed dance routines. For the, this time of year, what the children all want to know is, am I awesome? Am I really awesome? And for those two minutes that they come into that room, we say, absolutely, you are awesome. You are the most awesome magician, singer, dancer, person that we have seen in these two minutes you are awesome at that you're amazing and no matter what happens after the audition it doesn't really matter if they get to perform on the night for those two minutes you can see in their faces you can see in their body physically they know they are awesome they know they are part of something they know they are special they know they are valued they know they're significant and part of a community that tells them that they are significant. And in so many aspects of life, children, young people, they're not told that they're valued for who they are. They're told that they're valued if they do well academically. They're told that they're valued if they have lots of friends. They're told that they're valued for what they can do for the family or for society. They're told that their children are often used on promotional material for asking for money for charities because they look cute. And people feel bad if they don't give money to children. But they're only, only valued for what, they, what other people can gain from them. Children and young people are not often told they are valued just for who they are. One of the other things that I've noticed in the Johanna's Got Talent are some of the girls particularly who choose to sing songs 
and do choreographed routines, and they're often quite upbeat, popular songs. And then I listen to the words, and I hear words that say, I'm only valued if a boy looks at me, or if I'm looking a certain way, or if somebody tells me that they love me. There was one song particularly that I hadn't heard, and then I found out it was quite a popular song. So year four girls, so they're age eight. And they were singing a song. These are some of the words they were singing. She's got blonde hair. I've got brown. I'm sorry I'm not her. She's sporty. I'm not. I'm sorry I'm not her. Is it too much to ask just to be wanted? There they were, jumping around to their pop song and doing their choreographed routine. And AJ, and they were singing these words saying that my value only comes if that boy looks this way or if I look the same as that person. I only have value because of what other people say about me or what society says about me. If that's the story that our children and young people are hearing, what, are the, what is the story that we want to be telling as a church? As a church, what story do we want to be telling to the children and young people that we have influence over? We might be parents, we might be teachers, we might not be. But all of us sitting here and others who are not sitting here, who are part of other activities that we are part of as a church, we all have influence over the children and young people that we interact with in our daily lives. We have influence. We've got no choice about that influence. You will influence the children and young people around you. Your choice is what kind of influence. You will influence the children and young people around you if you walk past them to talk to an adult without talking to them first. In such a tiny thing, you will influence their perception of how they're seen. You will influence the children and young people around you if you choose to sit down with them and chat to them about their week. When anyone comes to volunteer for anything to do with children, one of the first things I say to them is, you need to have time to sit and listen to the story of the snail that they found in the playground and that was their friend and then died and then... They decided to put in a box and do a special ceremony and you have to have time to listen to those stories because the most insignificant thing can be the most massively significant thing. If we have time to listen to the story of the snail that died, we have time to listen to the big stories too and the things that are challenging. As children and young people, sometimes... Adults are seen as the ones who have all the power, the ones who are in charge, the ones who decide everything. What influence we can have if we hand over some of that power, some of that um, authority. There's so much research about just human nature and our need to be in relationship and to be in community and to feel valued as part of that community. There was a program last year called Old People's Home for Four-Year-Olds. Did anyone watch that? 
No, you've got to watch it. Channel 4, find it online. Old people's home for four-year-olds. There was a social experiment um, where they brought some nursery children into an old people's home for 10 weeks. And it's something that's actually been done for years and years and years in America and in some other countries where there's places that have actual nurseries set up within an old people's home. And that intergenerational interaction, and, and um, they had doctors there, they had physiotherapists, psychologists following over the 10 weeks, and they tested the older people um, in the program, I think they were called older adults. So they weren't allowed to call them old people. They had to call them older adults and the children. They tested the older adults at the beginning, um, physically, emotionally, um, and how they were feeling about things, but also like their actual strength. So how far they could walk unaided, how um, they had to like squeeze something with their hand, how strong their hand was. They tested all these things at the beginning, they tested all these things at the end, and they had spent 10 weeks playing, doing arts and crafts, singing together. They had a sports day where they had to team up, so they were in pairs. And at the end of the 10 weeks, not only were the older people less depressed, had less indicators of um, feeling isolated, and I kind of thought, yeah, I expected that. Spend 10 weeks with some children, it's quite fun. Of course, you're going to feel better, and psychologically, you're going to be more positive. But actually, physically, they were physically stronger. Physically, as well as emotionally and psychologically stronger. I find that amazing. The power of children in 10 weeks to make you physically and emotionally stronger. The power of the relationship and the power of a relationship with those who are different from you. Whether that's in age, culture, social standing, whatever indicator we want to say, see, um, we are made more whole people by spending time with those who are different to us. So what's the story we want to tell our children and young people, what do we want to pass on generation to generation? Many of us might be here knowing that through our life there's, there's different difficult things that have happened. There's times we haven't feel, felt valued. There's times we haven't felt welcome and part of a community. We don't want our children and young people to have to lay down quite so much of that baggage. We want to lay the good foundations. We want to say to them right from the youngest, you are part of this. You are valued just for who you are. Not for what you do, not for what you achieve, not for what you bring. You are valued just for who you are. So why do we do it? Why do we do this? We do it so that our children and young people, in fact, so all of us would know who we are, where we belong, and why we matter.
this might be useful. Um, okay, thank you, Louisa. Question. How have your characteristics, skills, and passions had a positive effect on your life? Give that a thought for a moment. I'll share a story about a lady called Layla. Layla came to me a couple of years ago in a former job and said, I'd like to volunteer, Stu, with young people. I went, great. Um, what do you like doing? Not have you got any experience, but what do you like doing? Oh, I love playing chess and drawing. Right, okay. Got a perfect group for you. I stuck Layla in probably the toughest youth-looking environment I've ever worked in. You imagine your classic tabloid like Tom talked about earlier, a group of those sort of guys who are going around not just doing drugs, dealing drugs, criminality, violence, weapons, the works. They used to populate our room, our building, once a week for three hours. Layla volunteered. I don't think she quite knew what she was getting herself into. Anyway, week one, she's kind of standing around looking a bit, what do I do? She's quite, quite quintessentially English, well-educated, quite posh, you know, and got a room full of black lads aged from 16 to 24. After about an hour and a half, she goes, Stu, can I get the chess out? And I said, yeah, why not? Let's get the chess out, yeah? So she gets the chess set out, sits down, and I kind of nudge one of the lads to go, go and play chess. And she, he sits down. He hasn't got a clue how to play chess. So Layla starts to teach this young man how to play chess. What happened next was well, a few things. The first thing was the noises she made. I mean, chess is a game of war and strategy for those who play chess. And she thought, I've got to make this relevant. She starts going, boo, boo, you're dead. Or bah, bah, killed you. All this sort of stuff. And this lad sat there for three, almost two hours. His mate said, we're going now. No, no, I'm going to finish playing chess because it's, in, it's interesting. He stayed the whole session, played chess. Next week, she thinks, Stu, that worked quite well. I said, yeah, it worked quite well. Let's get some more chess games out. So we got three chess boards out, all laid up, found odd bits of pieces, because we the full set. Him and four of his mates joined in and played chess for the whole evening. There's Layla going, boo, boo, you're dead, you're dead. They're all going like their machine gun noises and their Star Wars noises, <laughs> giving it a large. And she's starting to make a difference. And these lads are connecting to somebody who's not from their culture, not from her background, completely worlds apart. As the weeks progress, Layla goes, can I do some drawing with them? I said, yeah, sure. And then what's she going to draw, like pots of flowers and Van Gogh? No, she's a self-portrait artist. So she took these lads one at a time into the room and said, I'll draw your face. They sat there for like an hour and a half, <laughs> which for any person is hard work. These guys sit down for 10 seconds. It's a miracle. First lad came out. His face was beaming. Look at my picture. It was beautiful. It was perfect resemblance to this guy's face. She had a queue for weeks to get a self-portrait done of these lads who probably never, anyone take that so much attention in their life, get a great image of them, painstakingly drawing by hand for an hour, hour and a half, touched up over the week, a bit of shading. And the difference she made was that she used her, her passion and her skills and her character to make a difference. So the next question is, how could you use these qualities 
your character, your skills, your passions, to have a life-changing impact on the lives of children and young people within this community. It hasn't got to be a Sunday morning. It could be a mentoring thing. It could be a midweek thing. It could be a helping hullabaloo play space. It could be working with guys playing football. It could be anything. We'd like to think about how you're going to use your qualities. You haven't got to be an expert. You don't have to be, you know, I'm the epitome of an uncool, untrendy, whatever, youth worker. You haven't got to be those sort of things. As Louise said, you just got to take the time to be involved and listen and share. Whether it's cooking, whether it's knitting, whether it's playing table tennis, whether it's drawing pictures, these guys won't care until you're taking the time in their lives. So, please think about those two questions. And if you want to talk more about how you could use your qualities within the children and youth world within Oasis Hub Waterloo, please talk to Louisa or talk to me afterwards. The young people will be handing out these questions at the end, so you've got a physical reminder in case you're not sure. Take it away, give it some thought. We're not going nowhere for the next few years. You know, these young people aren't going nowhere. But, you know, don't leave it too long because lives matter. All right? And that's all I'm going to say. Thank you very much.